Greetings, everybody, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. Recorded live at the Sagamore Hotel in Miami during Art Basel and my Art Week Miami. Our Art Week Miami. I'm going to say it's our <laughs> Art Week Miami. That way we, we own it. Um, in case you're tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things. And hello, Ebony. Hello. You're like a ball of joy. So thank you for, for all your hospitality and your smiles. Wow, and and the kiss too. Thank you. <laughs> um, and so today the ball does not stop. Uh, I have a wonderful, wonderful guest. Uh, why do you have a pen in your hand? First of all, are you are you, are you hosting? I, I'm just in case I need to take notes. Okay. <laughs> all right. Cool. 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 Um, Chris Barr, say hello. Hello. Hi. Um, so give us a little bit of a, a 101 on who Chris Barr actually is. Mm. Mm. Um, well, I can talk a little bit about the day job. Uh, or do we want to go deeper than that? You, you. This is your story, <laughs> and then I'll like I'll extrapolate from there. Sure. Uh, so uh, my name is Chris Barr. I am director of technology innovation at Knight Foundation. Uh, we're a philanthropy here in Miami. Uh, we focus on arts, journalism, and communities around the country. Um, and some of the work I've been doing lately is around uh, this sort of combination of art and technology, how to uh, help the cultural space uh, get more digitally fluent. Uh, how's that going? Uh, <laughs> uh, honestly, we're really optimistic. Um, it's It's been going really well. There's, there's really uh, a sense of urgency within the cultural space around how do we get better at technology? How do we use digital media uh, to advance our mission uh, beyond sort of the walls of museums, beyond sort of these, um, um, the brick and mortar spaces that we occupy. When you say mission, like define that term, like what does mission mean when it comes to art and technology and the Knight Foundation and even the, the, the pillars that you mentioned earlier, like journalism and philanthropy and so on and so forth? Yeah. So, so at Knight Foundation, uh, within our art program, we really sort of think that what we're trying to do is make art general, right? We want art to touch the lives of more people. We want you to walk down the street and be encountered with it. We want it everywhere. Um, here in Miami, you can see our efforts uh, the last 10 years of running the Night Arts Challenge that happens in Miami as well as several other cities around the country. We just celebrated earlier this week uh, the 10-year anniversary of that particular program. That's good. It's 10 years. Oh, video camera. I didn't see one of those in a while. Hey, we're on, <laughs> we're on camera. <laughs> so that pro that program has been funding grassroots efforts within the arts for, the, for 10 years. At the same time, we're looking at um, the anchor institutions that are really important to a thriving arts community, whether that be museums like the PAM here, whether it be the Arch Center, whether it be the ballet, uh, folks down the street like New World Symphony. Um, we think there's interesting ha things happening on both ends of those spectrum. And really to have a thriving cultural community, you need both. You need the grassroots and you need those pillar institutions. Well, speaking of like marrying two different sort of points of view, when it comes to art and technology, like where are you sourcing both of those things and where are you finding opportunities to combine the two? Yeah, so so we've started really um, with museums. And in that space, we're interested in the fact that museums hold so much of, of the culture, 
right, within their collections? Um, and how do we share it to more people? Uh, yes, we want to get more people through the door, but how do we think about um, how museums expand their mission beyond the, the gallery walls uh, and into this digital space in new and interesting ways? Um, one of the things that, that we know and we're coming, our background being within journalism, and if, if we think about what's happened in journalism since uh, the advent of the internet, really challenging the business model of that particular field, um, we're worried about how uh, museums and arts institutions remain relevant, right? In an age where there is so much competing for your attention, uh, competing for your click and your eyeballs, uh, whether that be in the digital space or the physical space. Um, so we're help we're trying to help those organizations level up um, and really think deeply um, about how they connect with audiences that have new expectations that they didn't have 10 years ago. What like what are some of the learning curves? Because I think when you have like stayed or stayed any institution, whether it's a, a Levi's who's been around for 100 years or it is a museum, where do you find like the biggest hurdles being in people like kind of leaping into the future that you foresee for them? Yeah, I think I think when we talk about legacy institutions of all types, um, we have that sort of uh, cruise ship versus speedboat uh, problem, right? It's really oh, hard. Boat. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just uh, it's it's all this is what I pictured immediately to yeah. that or Fantasy Island. Mm. So yeah, I went way back. Sorry. Continue. Uh, <laughs> it's really hard to turn a big organization around and create new priorities for them. Um, in the case of museums specifically, um, we're missing a lot of talent, right? There just aren't technologists in these organizations. So how do we have, how do we help organizations prioritize technology when the knowledge just isn't part of the institution? Um, we see it happening a lot at sort of bigger institutions. You know, the, the Met has a fantastic digital team, SF MoMA, um, folks around the country that are sort of the larger museums are, are doing really well with this. Um, but the medium and small uh, institutions have a harder time sort of catching up uh, and, and sort of playing in that, that sand pit. Um, so give us an example, right? Like wh what do you point at as like a poster child of success of the marriages of these two, at least at, at, through the filter or the lens of a Knight Foundation? Yeah. Um, well, the first the first project that comes to my mind, and, and this isn't one of ours, um, is what the SF moment did this year, right? This uh, very simple um, project where you text an emoji or a, a word to to a phone number, and it sends you back art, right, based on that emoji, based on um, what you request. Uh, so it's really simple things like that that I think are are some of the early things that are happening. Um, I think we're also seeing in the museum space folks really interested in augmented reality and virtual reality. I think it um, fits uh, the mission of those organizations really well. Uh, our grant making includes a couple of grants to AR projects, one at the Detroit Institute of the Arts. Woo, Detroit! <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> really cool um, in-gallery experience where you can do things like um, they have they have a, a mummy there, right? And so you, you take your, your device and you can 
actually hold it up and see inside of the mummy. You can sort of get x-ray glasses and see things that you otherwise aren't visible uh, to the to the visitor. Uh, at the same time here at the PAM, we've launched this week an augmented reality experience, which is the first museum to use uh, Apple's AR kit um, and is commissioned a local artist to for an AR exhibition, right? So they're, they're thinking about how can we use the museum space and architecture and activate spaces that aren't the walls, right? right. That uh, curators aren't fighting for um, to put art on the steps going up to the auditorium. But now through technology, that becomes a space that you can actually activate uh, with art uh, through that technology. So like the the experience is one thing, right? When you're already in the walls. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about how to get people to actually enter the building, right? Like and yeah. how do people engage with an arts institution as a brand, you know, on a daily basis or weekly mm-hmm. or mo- however often you want them to do it? Like what happens outside the museum walls where you're trying to find opportunities to engage? Yeah. So I, I, I think museums have a really distinct advantage here in that they have really great content, right? Um, so that they can they can use that content in interesting ways on social media. What they don't have necessarily is a really keen understanding of their audience or potential audiences. Um, so how do we help museums really uh, start to have uh, really good audience research um, opportunities and departments and really start to understand who's coming through their dis- through their doors, uh, what they want out of their experience, who's not coming through their doors that they want to get into uh, their doors and how to talk to those people. Uh, I think for me online, you know, one of the challenges here uh, at the institutional level is how do we overcome a sort of institutional voice, right? Um, That doesn't always work online. How do we talk to people like people? Um, rather than uh, sort of a model of knowledge where we're sort of um, gifting you knowledge from on high uh, rather than engaging you in a conversation. Um, what's, why is this important, right? Like if, I think in the grand scheme of things, you know, art is a great experience, but when you talk about journalism and philanthropy and the other pillars that you have or other important like things that people find important in the world, why is this the the thing that either you're focused on or that, you know, where you find that the, the need for to fill this gap is? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as much as journalism, I think art helps us understand each other. Um, you know, we see that here in Miami. We're a city where so many cultures are melding together. Uh, we need tools to understand each other and, and sort of fact based journalism isn't always the way to do that. Um, At the same time, we need sort of safe spaces for really hard discussions. Um, And I think art allows us an opportunity to to do that in a way that that's not as threatening as, um, you know, some of the things that we get um, encounter on, say, cable news television. Fake news. (laughs) (laughs) I like how you're so well PR trained. I'm just trying to throw you off. You're like, ah, this guy is killing me. I'm not trained. I'm not trained. No, I mean, it it is, it's, it's dialogue, right? It's, you know, it's, it's creating um, content and experiences and just visual experiences that Mm -hmm. kind of drive conversation. And, And do you see that need currently more important than previous generations 
you know, if you give, if you take in the political climate or the socioeconomic climate, like, do you feel like it's more important now than it ever has been? Or do you feel like it's sort of the same? I think, I think there's a real urgency now, right? So one of the things that's happening now is that, um, there are power structures that are being challenged, right? And we have to create space for uh, differing worldviews. And I think art gives us uh, a way to access those those other worldviews. Um, and it allows, you know, for, for me, you know, culture is any expression of a worldview. Uh, and for so long, it's been about the dominant worldview. And I think now is a really great moment that we're starting to see cultural institutions, especially um, starting to make room for the multiplicity of worldviews, the multiple uh, experiences um, that are happening in our communities. Um, museums, especially, um, are places where um, I hope that everyone can see their experience um, you know, on the walls. If, if I'm a mom and pop type of gallery or, you know, I'm an up and coming artist, you know, what can I look at the Knight foundation, uh, your successes and or failures or whatever, and, and learn from like, how can I mimic or recreate or replicate the success that you've seen, or at least the, like the vision that you have? Sorry, I'm asking you such hard questions. No, so, no. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, <laughs> like the black Barbara Walters, you know, I, I don't know that it's, you know, for us, uh, we work with like a lot of non small nonprofits. Right. And and for what we see is how vital uh, art can be to to a community, um, you know, things like the Little Haiti Cultural Center here in Miami, um, things like the Lyric Theater in Overtown, these spaces um, really sort of carry the heart and soul of a community. Um, Artists put on display um, a set of values that that really um, represent or aim to represent a group of people, oftentimes. And so, those are things that that I think are important um, for us. It's all about authenticity. It's all about uh, artistic excellence, uh, and it's all about how do we create space for the community. Define authenticity. It's a word that I feel like gets used a lot, right? But it means different things to different people. You know, in this context, how can I be an authentic individual or institution? Yeah, uh, for us, you know, um, here in Miami, we're thinking about how do we tell Miami stories, right? Uh, it's not about how does Miami become New York. Uh, it's how do we help Miami tell its own story in its own way, right? Um, and I think that's um, what's what's really amazing about what's been happening in the last five or 10 years in Miami. And we're starting to see those Miami stories happen uh, on the big screen, right? A, a, a movie like Moonlight, um, you yeah. know. Uh, Great example. <laughs> doing what it did on the national stage uh, is 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 what I'm talking about when I talk about authenticity, these, these real stories that connect people to place uh, in meaningful ways. Um, why are you the guy? 
<laughs> yeah, you know, just because I think when it comes down to an individual responsibility and yeah. a heart for the job, yeah. you know, why does this all resonate with you personally? Sure. Uh, well, I'm not the guy. I'm a guy. I just happen to be a guy that that has this job. Um, my background is actually in the arts. Um, so, um, you know, I, I'm a failed artist. I, I have an MFA and I have a day job uh, helping other artists succeed. Um, and my other, the other half of my, my background comes from technology and design. Uh, so when I started at Knight Foundation, uh, I was brought on actually through our journalism and media programs to uh, run something called the Knight Prototype Fund that was all about how do we fund uh, early stage um, uh, projects, startups, investments um, to, to really do fast sprints and quickly build out to a prototype and test um, wild ideas. And like, what shifted over the course of time, right? Where you started off with a prototype fund, now you're solely focused on it. Is that if, if I'm correct? Um, I am. I am focused on lots of things. Which maybe <laughs> so not focused I'm, at maybe all. Maybe I'm unfocused. Like... <laughs> yeah. But I, but I, I, even that, like, the, you know, I think there's a there's a gift in that, like the the ability to kind of like be spread yourself thin mm -hmm. and be successful at it. You know, have you borrowed principles from one discipline or need from and applied them to the other? Like does journalism apply in the art world or does technology, you know, so is there, have you seen sort of. Absolutely. Um, it, for us, it's been all about innovation practices. Um, we've invested heavily in human centered design as um, the sort of innovation methodology that we personally uh, like. That's something that we used heavily in the prototype fund, right? Getting sort of early stage tech projects up and running uh, and are also using it in a number of other projects. The idea here is um, how, do we, how do we make technology uh, and new things, not because we like geeking out and making technology, um, because, but because we want to make things that are in the service of people, right? right? And how do we ensure that we understand the needs of those people and are actually building things that they want. And so that's relevant, I think, uh, in, in the art world where, where, you know, like I've been talking about, there's a real need to understand our audiences better and serve them, not just through technology, but through, uh, you know, holistically about the, the way that we create experiences for them, uh, as much as it is, um, you know, in the journalism world where we're thinking about what are the new ways that we're going to distribute uh, information and uh, inform people. When you chose to make art your path of education, you know, I would imagine that was a, a situation, a, a, a decision that you made early on. Uh, what was it that resonated with art for you personally, especially as you, as a self-proclaimed, and I disagree, failed artist, <laughs> right? Um, and there was something in you that was like, right. oh my gosh, this is what I need to do. Right. Yeah. What, what was that? Well, well, here's a funny. I was actually a uh, journalism major for a year and I hated it. Uh, <laughs> so I was in journalism. Uh, I called my mom up and my mom was like, you know, Chris, why don't you do that computer art stuff that that you do in your free time? Uh, can you do that as a as a major? Um, I was like, Mom, are you really telling me I should go to art school? What kind of responsible parent tells their kid to <laughs> right. go to art school? Um, uh, but I did. And it turns out, you know, when you do things that you actually enjoy, you, you're a lot better at it and you do, you do it well. Um, so, so, you know, I really liked geeking around with Photoshop. I really liked um, 
you know, uh, the technical side mixed with the creative side of uh, sort of media arts and video and, and those sorts of things. And so um, that's what I studied in school and it, it really served me well. Uh, out of school, I, I sort of pivoted and used those skills uh, to go into design and advertising, right? Which is, uh, you know, the applied arts. So how do we take those same skills and, and get people to pay for it? So the moral of the story is listen to your mother. Listen to your mother. And listen to my mother, anyhow. So. Yeah, so let's, let's call her, shall we? You have your phone. With you? you want to call? You want to call us, mom? Um, so uh, I'm curious as to you know what the future of the Knight Foundation is. You know, where do you want to take this effort? Do you want to maximize? Do you want to go global? Do you want to? Is it more of a Miami centric? You know, sort of effort. Like, what's what, what's your vision, and then also, what's the organization's vision? Yeah. So, so Knight Foundation has twenty six focus cities around the country, eight where we have um, program directors. So we have a real investment in those uh, cities. Um, most of our arts funding happens in those eight cities. Um, as we've been talking about technology, though, um, we can't expect technology development to, to spring up out of all of those places. So we're thinking about how do we um, work on a national and field level with arts and technology and think about ways that that projects that are built out of our funding um, find their way back into the museums and institutions that we care about. Uh, we fund a lot of open source technology. Um, we fund national programs that are really uh, connected to community in, in um, lots of different ways. Um, so we're approaching sort of arts and technology from that vantage point and, and thinking about, you know, how does this impact the legacy institutions that are so important uh, for preserving and presenting uh, culture in our communities? With that thought, Right. Like there's individual institutions that have very specific needs. And then there's probably like a lot of commonalities, but, you know, among those 26 was it cities, you said, mm -hmm. um, where do you draw the balance between like very individualized solutions versus like broadly applicable, you know, solutions? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, so we don't have clear boundaries there. Um, so what we're looking for is one, in some cases, is there sort of, um, abstractable technology, uh, like an open source platform that other people will benefit from. Uh, at the same time, you know, we might be funding things that are at an individual exhibition level. And there we're thinking about, you know, what are we going to learn from this and what will the field learn from it? And how can we share that learning? Um, will this sort of experimentation that's happening, uh, help the field, uh, move a step forward? Um, and, and if so, uh, it's a good place for philanthropy to be involved. So we're at the Sagamore, as you know, right? You do know where you are. Good. Um, and you look at this, you know, there's this uh, amazing street art exhibition that's here, Basquiat, Banksy. I mean, there's a number of prolific artists that have, have been here. You know, how do you, uh, you know, what's your approach, whether it's Knight Foundation associated or not? Like, how do you get more people to care, engage, show up, explore, educate themselves, experience, like what, what's something, some of the things that you want to see more of when it comes to street art specifically, but you know, maybe it's more broadly applicable as well. Mm. 
Well, I mean, we're talking in the context of Miami Art Week, and I'm a local, so uh, we kind of think a lot of people are showing up to see art this week. Uh, in fact, uh, they're kind of, you know, traffic is impossible. Uh, we love it. We love it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, but, you know, within within the context of, of street art and those sorts of things, you know, uh, I think Miami is another good example. Um, you know, we have Wynwood here, which is an example of, um, how street art has been used to uh, invigorate development. Uh, problems with that, of course, uh, um, but at the same time... Problems uh, like what? Can't say. Well, we're talking about, <laughs> we're, we're talking about the potential of gentrification, right? right. We're talking about, um, you know, it's oftentimes the artists that are first in and the first out uh, whenever we're developing a new area. Um, so there's that risk and how do we sort of be thoughtful about mitigating that risk? Uh, and how do we make sure that we're not just using, um, art to, to sort of turn a blighted area into, um, a, an attractive economic, um, investment. Um, so, but at the same time, um, you know, one of the really interesting things with street art um, to me is that it's so ephemeral, right? So year after year here in Wynwood, and, and a lot of it happens this week, uh, you have street artists coming in from all over the world and they're painting over stuff, right? Stuff that was there last year, new stuff's going up. Um, and it's not meant to stick around forever. And I think that's a really sort of, uh, interesting parallel to technology, right? Uh, it's not very durable, right? It's not, it changes really fast. Um, and this is really challenging when you're talking uh, about institutions like museums. I also work with libraries, these institutions that are designed to preserve things for hundreds of years. Um, institutions that spend years building a single exhibition, getting it perfect before they open the doors to the public. Um, they're not used to working rough. They're right. not used to showing the public unfinished things. Uh, and at the same time, in the technology world, we've been dealing with sort of the lean startup, the minimum viable product, right? These concepts of how can we build the least? How can we show rough stuff to the public, learn from it and improve it? Um, and so that sort of difference in thinking uh, is sort of one of the culture changes that I think we're, we're having to go through with cultural institutions is how do we get used to these sort of iterative ways of working where you're showing people unfinished stuff and yeah. that's not comfortable. Well, no, there's a, there's definitely like a, vul a vulnerability versus perfection kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Like, can I show you my work in progress and, you know, and open that curtain up and not be subjected to your like, ah, well, it's not really what, like even I was, you know, in the back and there, I, I joked with the artist that was creating something and it was like, oh, you got some circles on the wall. Cause it was just a sketch. But, but the cool thing is I get to experience the creation of yeah. that work. Right. And I get to go and check multiple times and like, finally I see a finished thing and, and it's never finished. And, and people are fascinated by watching that process. Right? Oh, yeah. If you, if you open up Instagram, you know, these videos of the sort of time-lapse of someone uh, creating a painting or a drawing. They're just fascinating. And, and people love to see 
that artistic and creative process uh, unfold before their eyes. Yeah, I think culturally, I mean, the internet has given us like such a, a level of transparency that we're used to like seeing what the ingredients are in a product and how it was made. And so, and I think the same thing, we expect that same level of information when it comes to a, a creative process, yeah. you know? Um, so the show is called Innovation Crush. Uh, what is out there that you are currently crushing on? What's something it can be in your world? It can be something across the galaxy. <laughs> it can be a, a meal you've had, but what's something that you're currently crushing on that you think is pretty awesome and gives you goosebumps? You know, it is funny. Um, I think I'm so steeped in digital. The thing that right now I'm like all about is ceramics. Uh, I just started taking pottery <laughs> that classes. Was very, that was probably one of the most I'm, unexpected you know, answers I've no, ever gotten. I have to turn off. I have to. And actually, I've found like making, uh, you know, hand built pieces of art and starting to do that sort of undigital stuff has been like the most important thing to me. Uh, and and, you know, it, it makes me think about the work that I do and the belief that that we in optimism we have around technology Um and also, how do we sort of make some space to, to disconnect from it? Uh, and how do we sort of connect the two? Because at the same time as, you know, I love sitting down to a pottery wheel and trying to, to make, a, you know, a, well, things I make right now, the, the clay is kind of deciding for me what they become. I, I don't <laughs> Again, really failed, <laughs> self-proclaimed failed artist, <laughs> which but I still but disagree as, with. As, as, as much as I love that, I spend just as much time watching pottery videos on YouTube and Instagram as I do actually trying to make pots. Uh, and that's like, that's the time that we're living in, right? Is um, this sort of meld between the analog and the digital and uh, how one side relates to the other. And I think that's really exciting. Yeah. And I, I mean, kudos to you just for doing the work that you're doing and getting people to experience art in new ways, because, it, you know, I, we spend so much time tapping on glass or scrolling, like it's mm -hmm. such a numbing experience. And I think, you know, the idea that you're giving people wow again is is important, let alone, you know, well done. So thank you. Thank you. Um, last but not least, complete this phrase for me. Ready? You've been smiling the whole time. Thank you. Um, innovation to me is innovation to me is the creation of value for the future. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, to me, you know, innovation is all about how do we create new things that create value. It's not about the new things. It's about the value that we're putting into the world. I love it. Uh, preguntas. That's, my, that's the only Spanish you'll get from me this week in, uh, in Miami. Any questions? Yes, no, maybe so. Going once. Yes. Chris, can you talk a little bit? Me or which, which Chris? <laughs> oh, oh, thought it was me this time. Go ahead, Chris Barr. About, um, I've worked in the arts and
Miami, we just had the economic impact study, and we're a $1.4 billion economic impact with our arts community. And I don't think that would happen without the investment you guys made. And if you don't mind, just repeating a little bit of the question in the answers. Yeah, I, I think what I heard is um, that that we've funded a lot of out-of-the-box different stuff that probably wouldn't have got off the ground without Knight Foundation. Um, and I think, you know, um, that really speaks to the fact that we're so committed to innovation, but also how we sort of see ourselves as a funder of risk and opportunity. Um, and a lot of risk and opportunity happens at the early stage with new experimental things. Um, those things are really challenging to get off the ground, but you know, a small infusion of capital can really uh, help those things start to happen. So, you know, an example uh, that I think is the perfect example uh, in the Miami art scene is um, Borscht, right? The Borscht Film Festival. Um, which is a community of uh, young filmmakers that are making the wildest, craziest films. But out of that grows these directors that go on to make things like Moonlight, right? Like uh, what would have happened if there wasn't an early investment to see uh, the potential and the sort of different and, and cutting edge thinking that's happening um, in our community, if we just sort of uh, were conservative about the way that we approach the arts, um, then we don't help move it forward. And we're thinking actively about um, how do we make sure that, um, you know, the anchors are there and at the same time we're moving forward as a community. And follow-up question. Great question. Thank you. Um, how do you convince people to take that risk with you? Because a lot of times you may go like, oh, you know what you guys should do is X, Y, Z. And like, you're all excited about it. And then like, yeah, but we're comfortable in what we're doing, even if it's to a fault, right? You're comfortable to a fault where, you know, people aren't coming in the doors. They aren't clicking on the website. They aren't, you know, sharing information. So how do you convince people to take that creative risk with you when they don't fully understand it? Yeah. I mean, I think we, we work with folks that are open to risk. We, we aren't here to prescribe what people should do. Um, we're here to, um, you know, occasionally, uh, identify where we think some opportunity is in the case of, uh, arts and technology, um, you know, we truly believe that, um, you know, technology presents such an outsized opportunity that we'd be foolish not to uh, learn how to to really utilize um, these advancements. Um, but at the same time, um, we're not going to prod anyone and make them do it right. We're going to we're much more interested in working with folks that, uh, you know, have this already as their priority. Um, and just need some help to get it off the ground. All right. One more thing, if I can add to what you just said. The, the great thing about it is the Knight Challenge has to be matched. So all the grantees have to match the Knight Foundation money. So it is also then in, integrating the community into that project. That's great because I mean the community is such a great aspect, and thank you, Laura. And that was something you and I were talking about. Was like, what does a community actually look like when it comes to the arts, and how do you get people to collaborate and work together and learn from one another? Even if I'm not the person that's ready to dip my toe in the sort of the innovation bucket, but I watch you do it, and I go, okay, I think I saw what you did. Now I can also yeah. do it. And I think that's equally as important. Yeah. Um, Ron, you also had a question, comment, thought. Hi guys, a question. 
Chris. You better answer this really good, Chris. <laughs> Uh, welcome, Madam Chris and Chris, for, for being here today, and of course, ABC for helping putting this whole thing together for us. Um, but one of the things that you have said uh, was that um, creating a platform for the artists that are around is, is extremely important. And I think that uh, what we're doing here in the Sagamore is exactly that. Mm -hmm. I mean, right now we have artists uh, changing the, uh, the art that was here last year, during Art Basel last year, we had different kinds of paintings on the wall done by uh, very uh, talented street artists. And now we have new street artists because uh, our crew here turned everything into white and now they're putting on uh, their creations and activities and it's happening in the garden. So welcome you all to step back and see it all. Um, so, uh, supporting the young and emerging uh, uh, artists and Stagamore being the platform was something that we really wanted to bring forth as the new ownership here in Stagamore. And I wanted to know, uh, how do you look at that from the outside looking in and what it is that we're doing in here? Because Hotels bring in art, you know, and they show it uh, a little bit, and then the art leaves. I mean, pretty much here, we kind of like let the artists be part of the Sagamore for a whole year, and the walls are breathing art, and, it, you know, and that's what makes it like very, very special. So I just wanted to see your, your reaction about uh, what it is that we're doing here and how the community looks at it. Yeah. I, so, you know, what I think so interesting about that is, you know, as a hotel, you have such a fantastic opportunity to show folks who are visiting our city what Miami is all about. Right. Um, you know, oftentimes people drive from the airport, they drive to the beach, they spend their time on the beach and they drive back to the airport. And so how do we you know, in these spaces, really let the voice of Miami shine so that uh, when people go home, when people talk about what Miami is all about, that they really get the flavor. One, that Miami is an art city. It's definitely an art city, um, but it's also a very diverse culturally city. It's a vibrant city that's moving really quickly. And how do we express that uh, in the places where we're welcoming people um, for however short or long uh, of time. And I think, you know, it's really a testament uh, to sort of open your walls and, and um, have it change, right? That, uh, uh, you know, that's Miami, right? It, it Every time you blink your eyes, it's a new city. Um, and I think that's what's really fantastic and exciting about living in Miami. Uh, and if I'm perfectly honest, um, since I've lived in Miami, I've found everywhere else in the country to be boring. Now it's <laughs> becoming harder and harder to imagine myself living somewhere else. No, I, it, uh, a, I'm a visitor and I find every other place boring now. Um, and, but also I think to further answer your question, Ronnie, I, I look at it like you're almost 
guilty by association, right? If I'm an up and coming artist or I'm an emerging artist and I get to showcase my work either A, at this venue or, or next to a what I find to be a prolific artist, I think it's, it's pretty great. We were talking about this idea of diversity earlier this morning during the breakfast, and it is like leveling the playing field. The fact that your work, although, be, although it may be new, it is still on par with people that are celebrated or individuals that are celebrated. And like, as a creator, that makes me feel awesome. As an observer, I get to discover something new that is in association with, you know, something that I sort of have some revelry for. Is that a word? I mean, it sounds right. Yeah. Too much wine. Um, revelry for. So, um, so I, that was my take on the, on the conversation, yeah, but and obviously from a local perspective, it's this is such a tight knit community, at least from and again, an outsider looking in that, you know, you guys do a great job of applauding each other and sort of giving that like boost to, to one another. I mean, everybody in this room is, is, is impressive in that it's like it's such a collaborative environment. It, that's it's rare and it's, it's pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, one last question. Anybody else? Yeah. Um, do you are you required by law to say that you're her husband when you ask a question? <laughs> How do you redefine value with innovation? Yeah, so so there are a lot of ways that we can talk about value. I think uh, when we talk about innovation and value creation in the business world, we're talking about um, money, right, typically. Um, but when we talk about innovation and value creation uh, from the perspective of an organization like Knight Foundation, uh, we're oftentimes talking about what kind of value are we creating for the community, right? Um, we're talking about how do we zero in on the groups of people that we're trying to uh, serve and how do we serve them better? How do we create value for them? Uh, the tricky part about that, uh, the thing about innovation and value creation is part of the harder part is actually value capture. So if we're creating value for people, um, how do we then create a mechanism to capture some of that value so that we can actually sustain our efforts, right? And that's one of the hardest things in the arts, right, is figuring out what is the business model that allows us to create value for people and capture some of that value back to the organization so we can sustain our efforts. And I lied. There is one last question. The young lady in the blue. I just learned a new word in French. <laughs> um, so that's really that's really interesting. So just um, to reiterate, just for the the, the show, the, the the urban versus rural. Like, how do you empower rural artists that are maybe not being located in like big metropolis 
type of areas, correct? Yeah. So this is interesting for so many reasons. One, because this is part of our largest cultural divide at the moment is sort of the split before between rural and urban environments. Um, uh, I come from a rural background. I'm from West Virginia. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm from, you know, a, a very tiny little town on the Ohio River. And this is something that, that I personally think about quite a lot. Um, the fact is that urban environments tend to be our knowledge centers and it tends to be where talent uh, locates itself. And it leaves the rural areas at an extreme disadvantage. Uh, growing up as someone in a rural area, you're not going to have exposure to uh, the same kinds of culture and ideas that you would have if you were in an urban environment. Um, the internet is maybe part of our hope here. Right. So technology potentially connects us to ideas that we otherwise wouldn't have access to. Um, so one of the things that excites me working on art and technology problems and working on, uh, you know, digital information problems is how can we uh, use these tools to help give people in these other areas access to knowledge and really a sense of the possible. Right. So. How do we how do we use this technology in those sorts of ways? Um, but it's it's really challenging, right? Because that's where the capital is. That's where the knowledge and talent is, um, and it tends to be those knowledge centers where we find the most innovation. Um, it's it's a it's a tough one to fix. <laughs> how just giving them access online and just what is possible that yeah and it's it's not just that as well it's it's not just access it's also how do these how do rural areas find opportunity to express their values right and what's important about these parts of the country um, and what these places provide to us um, I think oftentimes you know in urban environments we don't appreciate where our food comes from where energy comes from, these things that happen that are important to our day-to-day -day lives that happen in these rural environments. Um, we look down on the culture that exists oftentimes in rural environments rather than finding ways to celebrate it. And, you know, I, I would hope that some of that will change. Yeah, I was just going to, that's a beautiful response. And, you know, I, I think it's also to some degree up to the institutions and the people who have the baton or the, the, the power to look in, in other areas. I think, to your point, Chris, the, the digital media and social media has allowed us to discover so many different things, so many multi-hyphenates of who we are as individuals and the things we gravitate toward. You know, um, you know, I'm a swimmer, I'm a martial artist, I'm a podcast, like I'm all these things and I find my tribes individually online. So I think the talent is there and it's discoverable. And I think it's also, you know, I think there's so many tools that artists can create more immersive experiences around the things that they are creating. Um, in my ride from the airport, the person who brought me here, thank you, Laura, for arranging that. Um, we talked about her daughter who's going to like an arts high school. 
and she has to increase her portfolio and learn photography and visual arts and ceramics. Shout out to to Chris Barr for. <laughs> I want to see some of your work, by the way. I, we, you should put your process online. It's not there yet. <laughs> but you have to be a multidisciplinary, you know, individual talent. You have to think of yourself as a business as much as you think of yourself as an artist. Um, and I'll I'll shut up. Uh, last but not least, or I said that already. Where can people find out more about the Knight Foundation? Where can they find you, uh, your musings? Uh, I've seen, I read a lot of your writings on open source journalism. Oh, sure. So, <laughs> um, so knightfoundation.org is is our website. That's Knight with a K. Um, and you can find me on Twitter at, at HeyChrisBarr. Hey, Chris Barr. Hey. <laughs> um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crushed. Thank you for joining us live at the Sagamore. Thank you to the Arts and Business Council. Thank you to Element AI. Uh, make sure you guys go out and do the artificial intelligence arts, uh, street art experience. It's pretty amazing. Um, thank you again, and we will talk to you next time.